I'm going to ask that you turn, please, to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, where we begin, as we said this morning, our series, Living by Faith, looking at Paul's defense of this matter of living by faith, and then next Sunday we'll move on to Hebrews chapter 11, looking at different examples of those who lived by faith. But Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 9 through 14 to begin this morning. The scripture says, So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. May God add his blessing to this, the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, as we meet together, again, thankful for the blessings of the hour. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of knowing Christ as Savior. Lord, we thank you that thou art truly a great and wonderful God. We ask that you would bless now. Be with each who's gathered together today, asking, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, that we might not only better understand this passage of Scripture, but, Lord, that we might better obey uh, the commands of your word. Be with those who could not be here today for whatever reason. But, God, for each one present, we ask you'd pour out your blessings and speak to our hearts. And we thank you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The book of Galatians. The Judaizers had discredited the Apostle Paul and proclaimed a false gospel. And in this book, Paul vindicates not only his apostleship, but his message. And that's a task he undertook in the first two chapters. And then in uh, chapters 3 and 4, he contends for the true doctrine of grace. That is justification by faith alone. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he shows that Christian liberty does not mean a license to sin, but in, these, in those chapters 5 and 6, taught that a Christian should live by the power of the Holy Spirit and that when we do, we manifest His life, not our own, in regard to our walk with Him. And thus, uh, we have the great passage dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. But Galatians was written to remedy a desperate situation in those days. And that was a call to early Christians that they might come back from the Mosaic law to grace and that they might come back from legalism to faith. You see, as Paul traveled throughout Asia, Asia Minor, and then into the continent of Europe, he visited many cities along the way in his journeys. And as he would go to a place, he would preach to people. He would win them to Christ. Folks would, go get, um, would join a church, or they would establish a church. And we see that a group of believers were established there, and Paul would move on. 
Sometimes he would leave someone there to work with him, or in some situations, others would come along later on. But one of the problems he had in his journeys is that behind him would come the devil's crowd, these Judaizers preaching another gospel. These were individuals who said, yes, Gentiles can be saved. Yes, somebody can trust in Christ as their Savior and have a hope in heaven as long as they adhere to or also accept the teaching of the Old Testament law, specifically circumcision and other requirements that they were placing on individuals. So Paul, in writing the books of Romans and Galatians, puts forth his defense of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, it was to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul defining the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. And he made it clear when writing to the Ephesian believers that for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Throughout Paul's writings, he emphasized the importance and the truth of salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, plus nothing or minus nothing. It has nothing to do with church membership, baptism, speaking in tongues. It has nothing to do with how much we give, what family we were born into, what nationality we claim, what race we are born at. It has everything and only everything to do with Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Paul emphasized that clearly throughout all his writings. But here in the books of Romans and Galatians, he puts forth his great defense, if you will, of the gospel, and he contrasts living under the law and living under grace. If any of you remember Dr. Lester Roloff and his preaching years ago, he had a tremendous message he preached on Dr. Law and Dr. Grace and how important it is for us to recognize the difference. Well, it is an emphatic statement of salvation by faith apart from works that Paul sets forth in this passage that we read this morning in Galatians 3, 9 through 14, as well as the entire book. But here we're going to look at two specific thoughts that he uses to present his position on the subject. First, the negative aspect or proof from the Old Testament that one cannot live by the law successfully, and then proof from the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the one whom we must trust in. Verses 10, 11, and 12 deal with this matter of the Old Testament law. And I realize we are not under the law. I realize that each of us as Christians uh, are, are living by faith in this regard. We're not trusting in our works to get us to heaven. But I do want to go ahead and demonstrate Paul's position on this that it might better help us to explain to others because no doubt many, if not all of us, have loved ones who are living as a part of a religious system under the umbrella of depending upon their works to get them to heaven. Whether it's loved ones, neighbors, co-workers, we each need to know the importance of trusting in Christ and Christ alone. The Judaizers strongly advocated the necessity of keeping the Mosaic Law in order to be saved. And here, 
we see Paul says it ought to be simple to see the sequence of Old Testament events to show that uh, a, a life of works is foolishness. You can't trust in your works to get you to heaven. And he refers to Abraham. Abraham not only was declared righteous about 14 years before he was commanded to be circumcised, because that was their big argument earlier in this chapter, and Paul's saying, look, Abraham was, was declared righteous before God long before that commandment was given to him, and in addition to that, Abraham was declared righteous before God 500 years before the law was given to Moses at Sinai. Just as the Judaizers and their Galatian victims should have known that justification by faith is not in circumcision they should have also known that it wasn't in the law therefore after showing what faith can do earlier in this chapter Paul goes on to show what works cannot do as we see in verses 6, six through 9 and again we're shortening the, uh, the, the text that we're looking at here but notice uh, in verse uh, 9 here uh, this word curse there we go, verse, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The word curse, it means to be condemned and doomed to punishment by the righteous judgment of God. And by the way, God's judgment is always just and righteous. But the ancient rabbis were so absolutely convinced that salvation could only be earned through keeping the law, they tried to prove that God somehow revealed the law to the pre-Mosaic patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of those men lived prior to the giving of the law at Sinai, yet these rabbis tried to show that God miraculously revealed the law to these people, and they were as well bound by the law of Moses, even though it had not been given. That's a foolish premise, for they're trying to read into Scripture something that's not there. They are guilty, then, of attempting to reconstruct history and redefine the clear teaching of the Word of God. But again, Paul turns the tables on him here, and he says uh, that as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. He makes it clear that anyone who says, I adhere to the works of the law, are under a curse. What is this curse? Deuteronomy 27, 26. Uh, the, the scripture says, Cursed is he that confirmeth not all the works of this law to do them. Let me read that again. Cursed is he that confirmeth not all the words of the law to do them. So what is that saying? It's saying that if you're going to live under the law, you have to obey the entire law of God. 613 commands given in the Old Testament, not just 10. Uh, that's the, the Decalogue, the great commandment, uh, the 10 great commandments. But you have 613 laws given by God to the people of Israel. And Paul is saying here that according to the law itself in Deuteronomy, that if you're going to live under the law, you have to obey every bit of it. Well, this is foolish to think that anyone can absolutely, completely, throughout his or her entire life, from birth to death, obey every law in the Bible. 
You see, a curse is a divine judgment that brings the sentence of condemnation. And for someone to say, I'm living according to the law, they're condemning themselves and saying they are under a curse. The apostle's emphasis in this quotation was on the requirement, abide by all things. Romans 7 verse 10 says, And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. You see, the Judaizers were saying, it's the law that gives life. And Paul said, no, the truth is, the law brings death. Because it demonstrates, it reveals our weakness, our inability to wholly obey God. And even as a believer has said, Romans 7.25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And that's the problem. Every one of us are, are subject to the weakness of our flesh. Jesus himself warned us, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul, in demonstrating his own ability to live a perfect life, he said, the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. He said, I struggle with the weakness of my flesh. My heart gives in to sin, and as a result, I could never wholly obey the the, the law as is expected. Paul reminds his readers again uh, of more teaching concerning God's way of justification. Uh, now that no one is justified by the law uh, before God is evident, according to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, that says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, for the just shall live by his faith. We see repeatedly in Scripture the emphasis that we live by faith, not by sight, not by works, not by self-will, but by faith in the Lord. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 5 says, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. You see, that's God's statement or God's declaration. He said, here are my commandments. Here are my statutes. Here are my judgments, my testimonies, my law, my precept. He said, you do that and you'll live. Now that sounds like a pretty reasonable statement. But again, the argument that Paul is making here is that nobody can completely live according to the law of God. And we say, well, I can get pretty close. Close isn't good enough. You know, it works in horseshoes, but not in eternity. Why? Because God's standard of holiness is absolute perfection. Wherein God said, be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Jesus made that clear in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 48, when he said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. I'm sure none of us would like to be put into position this morning of demonstrating our inability over the last week to maintain a life of perfection. But aren't you glad we don't have to? Our sins were judged at Calvary's tree. And as a result, we have a home in heaven, not because of our attempting to work our way to heaven, but because of what God has done for us. Jesus made that clear also in his teachings, just showing the weakness of the body when he said, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. 
how tragic it is for people to attempt to work their way to God by obeying the law. Paul is trying to make it clear to these individuals that they cannot do it. We see this teaching extended also in James chapter 2. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. That's why Paul declared in Romans chapter 3 verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. One little error, one transgression is enough to declare us unholy in the presence of a thrice holy God. And therefore, Paul is saying, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be another choice. We are reminded in life of that one little thing that so easily trips us up and causes problems along the way. I'm sure all of you remember January 28, 1986, the uh, space shuttle Challenger and the tragedy in just 73 seconds after liftoff, uh, that vessel exploded with all of its, uh, all of its occupants per- perishing. Krista McAuliffe, the first civilian in space, first U.S. civilian in space, would have, uh, was on that ship as a teacher. She was selected from a national selection process to um, be on that trip. But uh, after that disaster, an investigation, intense investigation, was uh, um, entered into to determine the cause of that disaster. Was it a major engine malfunction? What happened? It all came down to two O-rings. Those two O-rings, which had been designed to separate the sections of the rocket booster, had failed due to cold temperatures on the morning of the launch. It wasn't some massive problem that went wrong. It wasn't a major disaster. It was, well, it was a major disaster, but it wasn't caused by some major part. It was simply two O-rings that failed to do what they're supposed to do. For us as Christians, we understand that there's no way we can through life live a perfect life and never sin. How tragic that these Judaizers were seeking to put people under the law. Well, Paul says, what's the choice? What's the option? What other way is there by which men may gain entrance into heaven? Well, it's good to know. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So in verse 13 and 14, we see this positive approach to this subject of salvation. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Turning again to the positive, Paul now reminds these Jewish believers in Galatia of the fact that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been a curse for us. Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. That word redeemed. It was commonly used in reference to the buying of a slave in the slave market and then taking him out 
of that slave market. And that's what Jesus did for us. He purchased us from the slave market of sin. So we were standing on the auction block of the devil and we were bound by sin to, uh, to uh, the, uh, the life of unrighteousness and in eternity apart from Christ. But Jesus came in our behalf and purchased us, took us out of that slave market and thus redeeming us, set us free. It's wonderful to know that we are free and it's not because of what we can do before God. It's not what we can do in attempt to please God or gain his favor, but it is in regard to what he did for us. Jesus justifies those who believe in him by buying them out of that slavery uh, to sin. The price he paid, and a great price it was. For many say salvation is free. Salvation is a free gift, but salvation was not free, for it cost Christ his precious blood. 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, yes, purchased from sin, as a result of Christ dying in our place. The curse of the law was the punishment that demanded that, that was demanded because no man could uh, keep from violating its demands. But Christ took upon him that curse. And by the way, that idea of being cursed, hanging on a tree, it goes back to Deuteronomy 21, 23. It says, when someone was put to death, his body shall not remain, remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord God giveth thee for an inheritance. See, in ancient Judaism, a criminal who was executed, usually by stoning, was then tied to a post. And this oftentimes was referred to as a tree, where his body would be hanged, would be put on display until sunset. And at the end of the day, by the way, the Jewish day goes from sunset to sunset, Our day goes from midnight to midnight. The Roman day would go from sunrise to sunrise. But the Jews, that's why they begin the new day at 6 p.m. on a particular day. So before the 6 o'clock hour, they would remove that body from the tree, from the post, from being on display, and thus bury it. By the way, that's why Jews um, believe in in burying their dead uh, so quickly. But uh, that's this idea of the curse. Being hanging on a tree. First Peter 2.24 says, of speaking of Christ, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, the cross, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. This is the message that Paul brought with him as he came into each town, each city, each village, each area along the way on his missionary journeys. He preached the message of faith in Jesus Christ and trusting upon Christ's finished work on the cross. The Judaizers would come along behind them and say, it's Jesus plus keeping the law. Paul is writing to try and explain to these people, no, it is Christ and Christ alone. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. He's saying there's a difference here. Men's speech 
reveal their heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And nobody can claim that Jesus Christ is God apart from the Holy Spirit working in their lives. So Paul's saying that's what you need to do. You need to, if we can say it this way, you need to listen to their heart. You need to know what they truly believe as to whether or not you're going to listen to them. You're going to follow them. And for us as believers, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was total. It was for all men by whose stripes we are healed. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2 tells us. Romans 10 gives the invitation, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. First, or excuse me, John chapter 1, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. For those who trust in him, those words become ever so lovely in our ears. Yes, Jesus saves What a blessing to know, and Paul is trying to get that across. All of this blessing is through faith. Justifying faith involves self-renunciation. What does that mean? It means putting away confidence in ourselves. Every one of us who profess to know Christ as Savior, if we have truly trusted in Him, it's because we have wholly trusted in Him and not ourselves. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Justifying faith involves reliance and submission to the Lord. When a sinner says that he or she has no way to escape and no power to trust in their own resources, we recognize that we must trust in Christ and Christ alone. Ephesians 4.24 And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Thank God that we can trust in him for he is the source of our eternal life. And justifying faith involves appropriation we gratefully receive that free gift of pardon that Christ offers. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what Paul is talking about in the epistles when it comes to the just shall live by faith. Trusting in Christ and Christ alone to get us to heaven. And by the way, saving faith doesn't have to be strong faith. Oh, Even the weakest of individuals can turn to the Lord with no more faith than to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, like the repentant uh, publican standing next to the Pharisee in the public market praying. You consider the, uh, the thief on the cross next to Jesus. What did he say? Remember me. Thank God that he won't forget. He'll never forget his own. He will never forsake his own. The scripture tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. When we receive Christ as Savior, we receive the promised blessing and the promised Spirit of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 6, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's a wonderful truth to realize that we, as unworthy sinners, have been accepted into his family. What a joy to know. 
Sometimes the thought of my own sin just breaks my heart. I have to say, Lord, why would you love someone like me? Thank God. His love is beyond our own comprehension. And can it be that I should gain? Ephesians 6, 2, 6 says, And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as we accept Christ as our Savior by faith, we accept his promise of eternal bliss in our new home in heaven by that same faith. Why? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know, God is looking forward to showing us his kindness. We accept that and every other promise in scripture by faith. Jude 24 and 25, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Our failings, our shortcomings in this life are an everyday evidence that we could never, if we wanted to, keep the whole law. But thank God, our faith in Christ has brought upon us the grace of God and he will one day present us to himself as faultless, pure. You understand, he sees us today dressed in robes of righteousness. He doesn't see me in my failure. He sees me as his son, his child. What a joy to know. Someone has said the key to God being able to work in your, your life is the level of your faith in him. Do we trust the Lord? We trust him for our salvation, but do we trust him for our daily activities? The scripture says the just shall live by faith, and that applies to every aspect of our life, not just our salvation, but to everything that's going to get us to our home and glory one day. The little things along the way. Sometimes it's easy to trust God and say, well, I'm going to heaven, but it's hard to trust him to get us till tomorrow. We'll close with this illustration. I thought this was appropriate. The following letter was found in a baking powder tin wired to the handle of an old water pump that offered hope to people who were traveling along Nevada's Amargosa Desert. The note read this. This pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it and it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun and cork end up. There's enough water in it to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour about one-fourth and let her soak to wet the leather. Then pour in the rest medium fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water. The well has never run dry. Have faith. When you get watered up, fill the bottle and put it back like you found it for the next feller. Signed, Desert Pete. P.S. Don't go drinking the water first. Prime the pump with it and you'll get all you can hold. Just as the travelers of that desert um, 
had to have faith in that man's instructions to use that water to prime the pump and to not jump the gun and try and satisfy their own need first, but to trust in those instructions. We find ourselves in the same boat, needing to trust the Lord's instruction along the way. His instruction, at least in this thought this morning, the just shall live by faith. God can get us through to the end. God will watch over us and care for us. He will travel with us every step of the way. We simply need to look to him and trust in him. Not running ahead of him, not running away from him, not lagging behind, but walking with our Lord side by side as we go through life's journey. God's going to get us to heaven one day. People of this world, they can laugh and mock and say, no, you haven't done enough, or it's foolishness to think in the first place. That's all right. They can say what they want. But as you sit here, as we gather here together today, we know whom we have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep us. What a joy to know. We can trust in him. The just shall live by faith. I trust that we're determined to go through this life doing exactly that.